It's time for midday. It's 11.30 here at KRVN. It's Thursday, the 25th day of March. Tyler Cavalli along with you. Thanks for tuning in to the Rural Voice of Nebraska. Jason Jorgensen here in sports. Bob Rogan also will tell us uh, if they've got that uh, ship unstuck there in the Egypt area. I get an update on that. Warmer temperatures on the way, if you're feeling them already. Lighter winds and uh, sunshine is uh, beginning to return for most of our listening area. We'll get more on that coming up in the regional ag weather update, 1145. But let's catch up with our own Susan Littlefield uh, on the eastern side of Nebraska. And Susan, uh, are you seeing the sun out there? Um, it comes and goes. It was there briefly, but it's it's gone back behind some clouds right now. But that's okay. okay. It's a little progress. So, yeah, the winds have died down, so that's okay even better. Very good. It'll help to get uh, soak in some of that uh, rain that you guys received the last couple of days, too. Very much so. I've even heard a few tractors going up and down the road, so I think hmm. guys are, are anxious. They're getting ready to get in the fields, but it's a little early yet. Well, very good. Well, uh, what uh, what do you have for us coming up on midday? Well, we'll kick it off here at 1219. Yesterday, Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack held a news conference with farm broadcasters. So we'll hear about some of his bucket lists as he talks about the pandemic assistance for producers that he announced yesterday. So during the 1219, we'll talk about that first bucket. Then at 1245, we'll have him back on again to talk about part two with some additional funds that they say, he says he'd like to see expedited as quickly as possible to producers who've had to suffer during the COVID-19 market disruptions. And then I'll wrap it all up at 117 as we continue talking about suicides and those in the veterinarian industry. So that's what we've got coming for a midday. All right, good stuff. We look forward to it. Thank you very much, Susan. Thank you. All right, let's turn things over to Jason Jorgensen and sports. Big volleyball game coming up tonight here for the Huskers. Yeah, they're on the road at Michigan. Final two road games of the season for the Big Red. Tonight they'll play at 7, tomorrow at 6. Of course, we'll bring both of those matches to you here on 880-KRVN. Of course, a big story yesterday was the announcement that there will be fans at Nebraska sporting events moving forward. Last night, Bill Moose was a guest on Sports Nightly, and he kind of talked about how things would work. We started also to get some numbers trickling through throughout the day. They're expecting at least they'll be able to have 46,000 people at the spring football game. They could have a little bit more than that. Baseball tomorrow, 2,700, and softball and soccer about 700. They have two big volleyball matches coming up next week against Penn State. They hope to get about 2,400 into the Bob Benny Sports Center for those. I was talking to one uh, ticket holder, and he was joking with me. He said he he doesn't donate enough (laughs) to be in that 2,400 allotment of tickets. But if you're a, you know, What's the word I'm looking for? A high roller, and you give generously to the university, you will have a first chance to get those tickets. Okay. All right. So if you're uh, not a high roller, no. uh, well, try again next year. Yeah, or basically. listen to the game here on 880KR. There you go. You know, it's times like these, you know exactly where you stand in the packing order of things. At least you got it set straight. At least it's set straight. All right. Very good. Uh, Bob Brogan, how are stocks doing, and is that ship still there? Well, let's answer the one about stocks first. Uh, they're slipping right now in trading with uh, energy stocks, taking the hardest hits. Um, as far as that old tugboat is concerned, uh, as far as the boat, it's still sideways in the Suez Canal. They've been trying just about everything except a four-wheel drive pickup. Um, they've even used a backhoe, and they have not been mm. able to free it. Can you imagine a Time for regional ag weather update. It's brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. 
Paul Perkins now joining us here in the studio. And, well, temperature's not bad overall. We're seeing mostly 40s. We'll see 50s before the day is over. And we're uh, getting a glimpse of sun here and there. Yeah, increasing amounts of sunshine across the area. Still a fair amount of patchy clouds in the central and east part of Nebraska and much of Kansas. A lot of these clouds along and east of a line from about O'Neill down to Broken Bow to the Gothenburg area, and then over much of uh, central and east Kansas. Uh, most of those clouds along and east of a line from about Atwood down to Goodland. But we will see more sunshine as the day goes on. But more clouds move in for tomorrow. But just hold on because some nicer weather definitely on the way as we head towards the weekend. And we'll get a taste of the nicer, warmer weather here today. Again, temperatures expected in the 50s. Yeah, pretty much uh, seasonal levels. Right now, those temperatures for getting close to the noon hour in the low to mid 40s. Still a little bit of light rain over eastern Kansas on into Missouri with that system that did bring a little bit of light rain to eastern Nebraska last night. For today, for the most part, we're in between systems. So dry weather, increasing sunshine, those temperatures seasonal. Also, you'll notice the wind not as strong out of the north. And for today, it's out of the south. Our temperatures Tomorrow will remain seasonal with some mostly cloudy skies thanks to an area of low pressure tracking across Nebraska and Kansas. Some rain and thunderstorms a possibility. A few of those could go severe, possibly. Rain not going to be widespread, though, and any amounts going to be on the light side. A ridge of fine pressure builds east onto the plains for Saturday through Monday for dry weather and a major warming trend. Monday will be the warmest day of the next seven with highs that are 15 degrees warmer than average, getting into the 70s. More seasonal temperatures return by Tuesday and Wednesday with the passing of a cold front. A few showers are possible behind that front across the central and east by Tuesday night. In the long-term forecast, any cooler air won't stick around long. Nebraska and Kansas temperatures the middle of next week. Pretty much seasonal to slightly warmer than normal. Nebraska and Kansas temperatures much milder for late next week through April 7th with a very good chance of above normal temperatures. Below normal precipitation, a strong likelihood for Nebraska and Kansas Tuesday through the first seven days of April. Some big improvements in the latest regional drought monitor that considers data through 7 this past Tuesday morning, so not all of the last rain is figured in. Nebraska improved 14 percentage points to 34% drought-free. There are no dryness concerns right now across the central and east, or if you're along and east of a line from Albion to Kearney and Franklin, west central and western Nebraska have normally dry to a moderate drought. Severe drought continues over the southwest from Perkins to Frontier County and points to the south. Kansas improved 21 percentage points to now 76% drought-free. It's mostly just abnormally dry to a moderate drought along and west of a line from Norton to Gove and Hugoton. There are some small pockets of severe drought over far southwest Kansas and from St. Francis to Atwood in the northwest. Weather factors driving the markets include active weather for the Midwest late this week and more dryness in central Brazil. The eastern Midwest will see a late-week storm with heavy rain, recent precipitation, easing the dryness and drought considerably, benefiting the winter wheat as it exits dormancy and preparing the soils for spring row crop planting. Areas near the Ohio River, though, could be a little too wet, causing some delays for field work. The northern Midwest, too dry right now and in some phase of drought. Across central Brazil crop areas, dry conditions will continue. The drier weather is favorable for soybean harvest and completion of planting second crop corn. The drier weather, though, leading to concern over the prospect of the rainy season coming to an end too early. If that occurs, second crop corn in central Brazil would be in jeopardy due to it moving through the reproductive and filling stage 
change at a time when very little rain is expected. It's nice to hear that the drought conditions are improving in our area. Yeah, big improvement because... Uh, just a few weeks ago, the entire state of Nebraska was in uh, some stage of dryness, and now we're seeing some areas, uh, a, big, a third of the state, where there's no drought. And it sounds like uh, the western half of the state that didn't get as much rain as we did the last couple of days is has potential in the near future to receive some some precipitation. Exactly. Yeah. Over the next few weeks, uh, we've got some more chances of some showers, and luckily those dryness issues have lessened quite a bit across much of the Panhandle, and that area of severe drought over the southwest has gotten smaller. Okay. Very good. Uh, for a full weather forecast, if somebody was interested, where could they find that at? Weather page krvn.com. Thank you. <laughs> Pandemic assistance is available for producers. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. That statement coming from Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack announcing yesterday that USDA is establishing new programs in efforts to bring financial assistance to farmers, ranchers, and producers who felt the impact of COVID-19 and market disruptions. The Ag Secretary spoke yesterday afternoon with farm broadcasters. I think it's important for us to sort of set the stage for why we did what we've done and what we announced uh, today. Uh, this really is designed to, to uh, encapsulate uh, a, a set of decisions made by USDA uh, that will is designed first and foremost to help those uh, a bit more than who have already been helped under previous COVID uh, relief packages uh, perhaps provide greater outreach to those who might have been qualified for participation in programs but didn't know about them or didn't fully uh, participate because they didn't know how to, uh, and also to extend help uh, to many uh, in agriculture and in the supply chain who previous to this had not received uh, any help from COVID uh, relief packages or perhaps received very, very little. Uh, we've divided this thing in, into four basic steps or four parts. I'll briefly review all four and then uh, be happy to respond to questions you have on this or any other topic. Now, the goal of us, uh, for us in this effort was to try to provide as much help as equitably as possible to as many producers as possible who have been hurt by COVID. Uh, and uh, given the d diversity of agriculture, the size of operations and methods of production, this was not an easy task and it took us a, a bit of time uh, to sort of get our arms around what the need was, how much resource was available, both through COVID packages and through normal USDA packages, and then try to put together a comprehensive plan. And he says they are utilizing COVID relief funding. We're also using resources from some of our more traditional USDA programs. So four parts. First part, uh, we're obviously focused on making sure that we're carrying out the formula payments under CFAP 1, 2, and uh, AA, uh, rolling those into this more comprehensive effort uh, this is going to allow us to make payments uh, to farmers uh, who are already received the benefits of these programs. Rules have already been written, uh, not uh, much uh, administrative uh, work to be done here. Uh, so we're in a position to make payments and, and to begin making those payments very, very soon uh, in the month of April. Uh, payments will involve under CFAP 1, uh, payments to cattle producers. Uh, they don't need to apply. Uh, they don't need to take additional steps. This is essentially uh, providing additional resources to what we anticipate would be about 410,000 producers, about $1.1 billion of additional support and help. Uh, rates for these producers will be published uh, on a website at farmers.gov slash CFAP. I would encourage cattle producers to take a look at that to determine how much they might be entitled to 
in, a, in addition to and above what they've already received. Uh, in addition, uh, we will also uh, uh, this April begin the process of paying out the $20 per acre to eligible crops identified under CFAP2, uh, crops that are identified as either flat rate or price triggered crops. Now this includes a wide array of crops, alfalfa, corn, cotton, hemp, peanuts, rice, sorghum, soybeans, uh, sugar beets, wheat, many other products. No need for new applications. Based on the CFAP2 uh, eligible acres, anticipate 560,000 producers receiving about $4.5 billion of additional assistance and help. Those comments are coming from Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack as he spoke to farm broadcasters yesterday afternoon about pandemic assistance for producers. I'm Susan Littlefield, the Rural Radio Network. It's time for Midday Sports. Jason Jorgensen back in the studio. And, well, the Husker volleyball team is back in action uh, later on tonight. Well, they're trying to finish up the regular season in a good spot. Of course, they're ranked fifth in the country. Final two road matches against the Wolverines. Uh, you know, we've seen the Huskers schedule kind of bounce around a little bit this year. But Thursday, Friday now. So tonight at 7, tomorrow at 6. We'll have both of those matchups here on 880 KRVN. Yesterday was a big day for the Nebraska Athletic Department as they announced plans for the May 1st Red-White Game. There will be tickets available. Those will be mobile tickets, and they go on sale on April 1st. Capacity for the event will be set at approximately 50%, which right now would be about 46000 But if things continue to improve, they think that could increase to around 75% capacity. Now, the tickets will be $10 for seats in the stadium seating bowl, $20 for club seats. Athletic Director Bill Moose says having fans of the game is a huge development in trying to get back to normal. It feels so good uh, for our fans, but you know, think of uh, these seniors and such, uh, especially in these spring sports um, who were had their seasons cut short last spring and now finally are going to be able to play in front of some fans. So this this is uh, just tremendous. And, and think of an athletic department that finally has an event coming up that they can bring in some money. Moose was a guest last night on Sports Nightly on the Husker Sports Network. They also announced some of the other numbers in terms of what they're aiming for. Baseball 2,700 with the season opener tomorrow, uh, home opener against Minnesota. Volleyball 2,400. That won't be enough to satisfy a lot of people, but Mm -hmm. it is what it is. Softball and soccer around 675, and we'll see what they do for football. You know, you mentioned bringing all that extra money, but uh, also the facility workers that have uh, been at a gig for over a year now. Uh, Now they have a chance to get back there because what what else do they do? I mean, there's no jobs for them to do, Mm -hmm. so nice to have them back. And I'm sure the university had put plans together. They were waiting, but they're all really having to throw all this together at the last second. But it looked like they'd kind of had their ducks in a row, and once they got the go-ahead, it was game on. Even though uh, the men's basketball teams struggle from the Big Ten in the NCAA tournament, that's not the case on the women's side of things. Four teams from the Big Ten have made the Sweet 16, including Indiana, Iowa, Maryland, and Michigan. They are all alive. Mm -hmm. And in Division II basketball tonight, second-seeded Northwest Missouri. They are in the Final Four of the Division II tournament. They will take on Flagler University from Flagler, Florida tonight, 845. Last night, Northwest Missouri won easily 98-77. I had a chance to see those guys play twice this year. I hope Flagler knows what they're in for uh, because Bearcats are pretty tough. Bearcats, uh, can they win it all? Oh, I'd say so. Who's the number one seed, by the way? 
You'd have to ask that. I saw that and then kind of forgot. Okay. All but right. I'd... I'd put my money on the guys from Maryville. But it'd be good if they won. I mean, hey, the Lopers could say last (laughs) defending national champions. All right, thank you very much. Time for midday news. Dave Schroeder stepping in. And uh, Mr. Schroeder, how are you doing? Hey, doing good today. Wonderful day out there today. Uh, the day is out there. Go and make it, as someone else used to say. There you go. In the news, Dawson Area Development and Cozad High School are, are in cooperation for the annual Cozad Senior Seminar that is held every spring. Cozad senior sponsor and high school teacher Jan Clipping says the event features a working lunch where students can meet with local businesses and learn about careers they may be interested in. Because our students are getting ready to go to college, and a lot of them don't really know what direction they want to go. You know, they have an idea. So it's really important for them to be able to sit down and visit with people in different professions and ask all the questions that they need. Uh, and I think this gives them a sense of direction. The COSAD Senior Seminar is on Wednesday, April 14th at the high school. If businesses are interested in participating in the event, contact Stephanie with Dawson Area Development. The Nebraska Department of Transportation advises that work will be beginning soon on Nebraska Highway 21. Paulson Incorporated of COSAD has a $6.7 million contract for the project that extends from the Highway 21 intersection with Highway 23 in Frontier County to the Interstate 80 overpass at COSAD. The work includes concrete pavement repair, culvert work, and asphalt overlay. Motorists are reminded to drive cautiously in and near work zones to buckle up and put phones down. A COVID vaccination clinic is taking place now at the Phelps County Ag Center with joint efforts by the Two Rivers Public Health Department and Phelps Memorial Health Center. Two Rivers Healthcare Coalition Coordinator Chris Frankhauser, their Frankhauser says there's still time and vaccines left for Phelps County residents. I believe we have the ability to give out about 700 doses today. As of first thing this morning, we only had approximately 300 or so confirmed appointments, but that means that we are able to offer vaccines for walk-ins, meaning if somebody has been wanting to get on the list and it just hasn't worked with their schedule and they're available today, they can come on in as long as they are age 16 or older. The clinic closes at 3 p.m. this afternoon. It's at the Phelps uh, County Ag Center in Holdridge. A Kansas Legislative Committee's leader lit a political prairie fire with the proposal that critics say would end investments in wind energy. Kansas Senate Utilities Committee Chair Mike Thompson said that he's trying to protect landowners who fear that a proliferation of large turbines in their rural areas will drop property values and lessen their quality of life. Reporting on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder. The thought of my sons growing up without me inspired me to quit smoking. I talked to my doctors and then I threw away all my cigarettes, ashtrays, and lighters. I started exercising instead of smoking. Getting support from friends online kept me on track. Staying away from alcohol when I was first quitting was key. Instead of smoking after I ate, I'd get up and take a walk. I missed having a cigarette in my hand, so I'd hold a pen or a straw, anything. Until I knew I wouldn't give in to temptation, I spent more time with my friends who didn't smoke. I went to places that were smoke-free. 
I didn't stay quit the very first time I tried. I kept on trying, and I learned something each time. Do whatever it takes. No matter how many times it takes. I quit. I quit. I quit. We did it. So can you. You can quit. For free help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and CDC. We're continuing the conversation this afternoon with Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack as he talks about assistance that's out there for producers. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. As he talked to farm broadcasters yesterday, he broke things down into buckets. Earlier this afternoon, we heard about the first bucket. And the second bucket really focuses on some additional funds and getting them expedited as quickly as possible. We're taking resources that would uh, that come from traditional uh, uh, USDA programs that are specifically designed for local and regional food systems and basically getting them out the door in an expedited way. Uh, there's 100, uh, roughly $500 million that we've identified of new funding from these programs that we're going to try to expedite getting out the door quickly, which should provide help and assistance uh, to, uh, to uh, small, uh, mid-sized producers, especially crop producers and others. It's uh, a fi- uh, $75 million for farmers uh, uh, for training and outreach that's designed primarily for socially disadvantaged farmers to give them uh, some additional information and, and training. Uh, that money is going to be provided $100 million under our local ag marketing program. This is uh, designed to provide assistance for direct-to-consumer uh, marketing, uh, benefiting local and regional food markets. Uh, $75 million in the Gus Schumacher Nutrition Incentive Program, which is designed to encourage more consumption and more purchasing of, of fruits and vegetables, uh, an opportunity uh, as well for a specialty crop, uh, specialty crop, crop block grant, $100 million uh, to go out to state uh, commissioners, uh, secretaries and directors of agriculture for additional assistance and help. So that's the second bucket, $500 million to try to encourage more marketing and more opportunities. And as they move forward with this funding process, they are pulling in other agencies. Funding. Money for APHIS uh, to uh, to uh, assist in disease, animal prevention, additional resources for ARS and to partner with the Texas A&M on a One Health initiative, uh, and $80 million to provide some assistance in the cotton industry as well uh, under uh, a program that was established under the Economic Adjustment Assistance for uh, Textile Mills uh, Program. So a lot of different unique opportunities here to provide help and assistance to get folks who are in the supply chain or are critically important to agriculture generally in the, in the country, getting them assistance and help. The, fi- the third bucket is a $6 billion bucket where we don't have the rules necessarily written because these are people and groups and entities that have not yet received money or haven't received sufficient resources from USDA. So we wanna give them an opportunity to participate because they too have been impacted and affected by COVID. Uh, I'll give you an example, a dairy donation program. We recognize during the course of COVID how difficult it was for certain uh, commodities to donate uh, to uh, food assistance. The transition from food service to food assistance was difficult. Um, We're creating resources under a dairy donation program uh, to make it a little bit easier to remove that disincentive for donation in the event we have, uh, you know, future problems uh, and we learn from this experience uh, so that we're better prepared uh, in the future. There is an opportunity to reimburse folks who had to euthanize livestock uh, and poultry uh, during this very tragic circumstance. Um, uh, an opportunity to, to assist timber harvesters uh, and, and, and haulers who uh, clearly were hurt and impacted by the COVID. The biofuel industry that uh, obviously didn't receive any help in the previous 
uh, COVID packages, but yet uh, experienced significant difficulties because of COVID, because of trade, a variety of other issues. Uh, also opportunity for additional resources to help especially crop producers, beginning farmers, additional resources for uh, organic and urban agriculture as well. Uh, opportunities for us to, in essence, take $6 billion, uh, divide it uh, appropriately and equitably in a way that provides help and assistance to, at all levels, if you will, uh, of agriculture. There'll be additional resources for uh, protective equipment for farm workers and, and processors and, who work in processing facilities. Uh, there's an opportunity for uh, even seafood processors to be engaged and involved in this. So it's very uh, comprehensive. Uh, we're going to take a look at our, the resiliency of our food supply system and figure out ways in which we might be able to provide greater resilience. Um, that might be helping uh, processing facilities. It might be looking at ways in which we can expand processing capacity. The secretary says that this is also an opportunity to help out others on food banks, farm to school programs, and moving fresh produce. Uh, restaurants, food banks, a, a wide variety of folks in the supply chain that are going to be helped and assisted with this effort. And all of this is designed to provide as comprehensive uh, an opportunity as possible. And then the final bucket is essentially recognizing that under CFAP2, uh, our outreach probably needs to be improved, particularly to socially disadvantaged producers. And so there'll be an opportunity to reopen CFAP2, if you will, a new 60-day uh, application uh, period that gives those folks who may have been left out uh, and left behind an opportunity to uh, participate in the program. So uh, that's a lot of information, uh, but the, the whole goal here is to make sure that when we're providing COVID relief, we recognize that COVID has impacted and affected virtually every aspect of agriculture uh, and the supply chain. And we're trying to do our best along with the American Rescue Plan uh, to do what we can uh, to bolster that supply chain, to provide the help and assistance to keep people on the farm uh, and to make sure it's equitably uh, administered. So. Those comments again from Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack as he spoke to farm broadcasters yesterday afternoon. Just a reminder, USDA will reopen, sign up for CFAP2 for at least 60 days. That'll begin on April 5th of this year. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. KRVN is on YouTube, now streaming video on demand. Subscribe to KRVN Radio on YouTube for news, weather, agriculture reports, and more. St. Jude exceeds any expectation or any dream I could have ever had about a hospital. I was told we wouldn't get a bill. I didn't quite process that. How is this possible? It's possible through all the wonderful people who donate. I don't know if they are aware of what they do, but they're saving children's lives every day. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. With the Business Report, I'm Bob Brogan. Stocks were slipping earlier on Wall Street, with energy stocks taking the hardest hits as the price of oil falls back. The S&P 500 was six-tenths of a percent lower for the latest ebb in the back-and-forth trading. It's gone through the last few weeks. Yields in the Treasury market also continued to ease after spiking last week to the highest level since before the pandemic started. The decline came despite a report showing that the number of workers filing for unemployment benefits eased to its lowest level since before the pandemic erupted a year ago. 
The number of people seeking unemployment benefits fell sharply last week to 684,000, the fewest since the pandemic erupted. Today's report from the Labor Department shows that jobless claims fell from 781,000 the week before. It's the first time that weekly applications for jobless aid have fallen below 700,000 since mid-March of 2020. The U.S. economy grew at an annual rate of 4.3% in the final three months of 2020, slightly faster than previously estimated as recovery expectations for 2021 rise along with vaccinations and the provision of another nearly $2 trillion in government support. Dredgers, tugboats, and even a backhoe have failed to free a giant cargo ship wedged in Egypt's Suez Canal as the number of stacked-up vessels unable to pass through the vital waterway climbed to 150 and losses to global shipping mounted. Even with the aid of high tides, authorities have been unable to push the Panama-flagged container vessel aside and they are looking for new ideas to free it. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Rowe. In an article published by the CDC a little over a year ago, they looked at the rate of suicides in the veterinarian industry. And they said it was disproportionately high rate. That, according to the CDC, with nearly 400 veterinarians dying by suicide between 1979 and 2015. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network, continuing the conversation with Dr. Jamie Pribble. She is a veterinarian with Bullringer Ingelheim. She said, first, we need to look at the structure of the day of a veterinarian. And it pretty much is a roller coaster. Yeah, absolutely. I I think um, if you kind of think about the veterinarian's day, and I'll just use a small animal veterinarian for for an example, because it's a little bit easier sometimes for people to, to relate to. Um, if you think of them seeing appointments every 15 minutes to half an hour, they're going to go through the whole gamut of different types of cases that they're going to see. So one, you know, the first quarter of the hour, they might be looking at the family's new puppy and then go from that room, walk out the door, walk into the next room and have to, um, you know, treat a, a very ill old dog or that's a family member, you know, that's been in that family for 12 or, or 13 years and, um, you know, needs to be, the family's made the choice to euthanize the animal and that family's going to be distraught and the veterinarian's, you know, a part of that. And, um, you know, they have to maintain their composure and, 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 and help the family through that. But it's a very emotional, you know, situation. And then you go from that situation out the door and into the room with the, with the new kitten next door. So you sort of have to, you know, make a very quick switch of your emotions from, from one appointment to the next. And it's really no different on, you know, going out to the farm and, and working on, you know, horses, which are companion animals. And the same situation happens. You just tend to have a little bit more time maybe between farm calls to sort of regain your composure in the truck. Um, but yeah, I, I think folks don't, don't think about that um, and how wearing that can be. So having said that, what can we do to help out our veterinarians? Because they're an integral part of our everyday lives in agriculture. Absolutely. So I, you know, I think um, one thing to, to know as, a, as an animal owner, whether it, you know, whether it's livestock or, or pets, is kind of be aware that 
you know, that have awareness that, you know, mental well-being is an issue in our profession, as it can be, you know, in the general population as well. Um, keep that in the back of your mind and then, you know, try to make sure that, you know, I think one of the best things that you can do with your veterinarian is just show them gratitude. Show them gratitude for, you know, what they're doing, um, whether or not, you know, it's just, it might be something simple as, you know, them coming out to do a, a cognitive test, which is really no big deal. But, you know, it just, just showing gratitude and kindness is, is an amazing uh, therapy. Does AVMA have a, a website, a link where they can go for further yeah. information? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of wonderful um, resources. And, you know, we have to remember that, um, you know, mental, mental well-being, um, you know, that's the key is to address those issues of, of well-being. With Dr. Jamie Pribble. Again, if you as a veterinarian or a staff member are having issues, 1-800-273-8255. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Playpen on the Rural Radio Network. Let's check in on the closing grain markets. And to do so, we talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the Daily Newsletter This Week in Grain. John, a little bit of a pullback really across the broader market complex. And over in that softs market, I know you watch that cotton trade pretty closely. With it limit down here today, does that give us any hint that maybe we could see just kind of broader selling across the commodities? Yeah, I haven't heard the president's press conference today, so I'm speaking without uh, no understanding if he's commented on this at all. But kind of hit last night um, that in the major company out of Sweden, H&M, which is H&M is you know, a clothing company, pregnant in the mall. Um, they are not going to be purchased, or they I think they put out a statement saying they're not purchasing cotton from uh, uh, the the province there in China that uh, essentially is the big cotton region where. And, the same location where potentially a lot of the slavery is taking place. They're saying they're not buying it from, from China. And then Nike came out and said the same thing. And, and when those things occurred this morning, cotton went limited down immediately. Um, so the worry, I, and there's a lot of big depth into the story that can go a lot of places. But really the worry, in my opinion, is you're going to get spilled over in, into the, the main, broader U.S. markets. Um, and China is such a player. I mean, they it's, it's just swing such a big stick that in the near term, you, know, you could see some weakness. So... You know, while there's a lot of cheap protection options, and I'm not saying you run out tomorrow and do it, but I know folks I work with on the cotton side, you know, we, we had 98 cent cotton three weeks ago, and now we're trading at uh, 70, we'll be close today, 76. So, you know, we've had, you know, close to, uh, you know, to almost 10% in, in the last three or four weeks. And those kind of things can happen when you're, when you're dealing with business partners like like China who can kind of change the the dynamic of what they do and then that changes the market. With, then we see on the export sales day though come to fruition last week's strong sales in the corn the strong the the corn export net sales were huge. Uh, does it look like we can continue at least on that type of shipping and selling pace then? Yeah, I mean corn honestly corn corn's a star on a day like today, you know, especially with corn wheat doing what it's doing. I do think in the more medium term, and July's probably priced this in, but, you know, folks, I got a guy I just got off the phone with before you called, uh, and he got, basically, he could buy wheat for the rest of this year at this price, which is basically 30 cents under corn. So his gamble could be, he'd rather feed corn, maybe corn comes off and he gets it cheaper for the rest of the summer, or he could just take wheat at this price. So 
you know, Corn faces some competition here too. The report, I think, will give you an opportunity to sell. I would say it's bullish news on the report. That's my 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 take on it. That's John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago. Learn more at danielzagmarketing.com. Do remember, though, trading futures and options involve risk of loss may not be suitable for all investors. All right, thank you very much, Clay, to wrap up this Thursday edition of Midday. If you missed anything or want to go back to listen to any of our segments, catch the Midday Podcast, sponsored by Deveni Motors, wherever podcasts are available, or krvn.com.